0: We are in 1 Corinthians 15. If you're using a pew Bible today, it's page 961, if you'd like to turn there. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord.
1: As we look at this text this morning, um, I begin with the question, why, why is Easter so significant? You only need to take, and you don't necessarily need to do that now, but you only need to take your phone right now. And if you're on social media, go to one of those social media platforms and open it up. And it's probably exploding with Easter. I got a text this morning, early this morning, from somebody. I have gotten a text one other time, probably in the last 40 years. He is risen. And you probably had some of the same things happen. Easter is more than just the fact it's spring. It's more significant. There's a a significance about Easter in the life of the church that is incredibly all-encompassing. It is, in fact, the celebration of the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. No resurrection of Jesus, Christianity falls apart. As much as people want to possibly still put a Christian label on something that denies the resurrection, you can't. It loses everything without the resurrection. It is the confirmation of the Father that what the Son did was sufficient. Sometimes you might ask, why why isn't just his death enough? Because we wouldn't know that his death was sufficient for all who believe, except for the resurrection. It was the confirmation of the Father that what Jesus did was enough, that he, in fact, when he said on the cross, it's finished, for all who believe, it was finished. Paul believed, certainly, it was central to the gospel. He he believed it, as, as we read already this morning, as you read on the screen, it, it is of first importance, what I delivered, that... Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It was a first, foremost importance. So the question I want to talk about this morning, and my wife leaned over to me as she does every week, and you would kind of get an indication of where we're going every Sunday morning if you just get her on the way out. She asks, okay, how long is it going to be this morning? And I'm not going to tell you what I told her. But I am going to tell you five things, five things that would, would in fact not, not be true if Christ isn't raised. In fact, they're right here in the text. Five things that would not be true if Christ be not raised from the dead. The first one is that no matter how long I go this morning, my preaching is in vain and all preaching is in vain. It is useless. It is empty. It is empty. In fact, not only is it useless and empty, the scripture says, but we would, in fact, be misrepresenting God if Christ is not raised. We've been walking through Romans chapter 1, and we put a close on that door the last time we were together, and we'll pick it up again in a few weeks as we're walking through the book of Romans, but one of the things that we said again and again about Paul in Romans is that he didn't just write a message He wasn't just telling a message, he was heralding a message. The tone and the tenor of the book of Romans is Paul is heralding, shouting, if you will, in a sense, the message to all who would hear it. Paul believed that Christ was risen, and he heralded that message because of the confidence that he was risen, and that in being risen, he has now provided a righteousness from God for us. In other words, what we said often in that study in Romans is that God provides what he requires. He requires perfect righteousness and he provides it to those who will trust him. In the work that Jesus accomplished, the reason it was finished is he accomplished all righteousness and is willing to give that righteousness to us. But again, it means nothing if there's not a resurrection. It's not sufficient without the resurrection. Paul believed this, as he writes later in Romans, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's that's why he was heralding the message. That's why he was preaching the message. That's why he didn't believe what he was doing was in vain because he believed the very power of, to cause a person's life to be changed and transformed and brought to life was the word. And part of the word, obviously, was the resurrection. But listen to what he says about that word in Romans chapter 10. He says, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is. The word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. The resurrection was paramount. Paul didn't believe that his preaching was in vain, but would say, if Christ be not raised, it is. The second thing that he would say is that your faith is in vain. Look at it. It says, if Christ has not been raised in verse 14, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Doesn't matter how much faith you have. Doesn't matter what that faith causes you to do. It's in vain. That's what Paul would say. Um, and in fact, one of the things we must understand about that faith. We're we're saved by faith. We're justified by faith. Scripture teaches that. But that faith is is rooted in something. We live in a culture today that wants to talk about faith that is not rooted to anything. Really, all that faith is rooted in is that I believe it enough to believe it's true. In other words, I I have enough faith to believe my faith is true, and that's what it is rooted in, believing it enough. That's not the kind of faith that, that we're called to. That's not the Christian faith. That it's, that it's unconnected and untenured to anything. It's just faith. And you hear a lot about that. I believe this, I believe that. But it's not rooted in anything. It's just true because I believe it. It's my truth. And it's true because I believe it enough. That was never what Christianity was and is. Christianity is a faith rooted in historical fact. Not just a spiritual experience no matter how vivid you may have experienced that spiritual experience. It's it's rooted in historical fact. And if you take the historical fact out of it, it doesn't matter what your spiritual experience is. Christianity is a faith rooted in history. One person has said this, if Jesus did not live and die and rise from the dead as a historical person at a point in time and in a particular place, Christianity is a sham. And it is. That's true. Because it says that he rose from the dead at a particular point in time, in a particular place. And if that can be disproved, then Christianity falls apart. His resurrection was foretold by Jesus himself. This is, why, this is why faith, even in Jesus, without the resurrection, is, is troubling. It, it won't work. Because Jesus foretold that he would rise from the dead. In all of the Gospels, we get accounts of Jesus foretelling his resurrection. In Matthew chapter 26, it's right after he institutes the Lord's Supper to his disciples in the upper room. And this is what he says. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And then he says, but after I am raised up, after I am raised up, we just talked about Peter. They were scattered. But after I'm raised up, Everything changes, and it is the resurrection that changes it. Mark chapter 8 and verse 31, just after Peter's confession. Remember his confession when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. Listen to what the scripture goes on to say. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days, rise. And Peter pipes up, who just made the confession, say, oh, that can't happen. No way. And, Peter, and Jesus turns back to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Why would he say that? Why would he say it so strongly? Because everything, everything that the enemy of our souls would come against was the resurrection. He didn't want Jesus to rise from the dead. He thought he had won. Jesus is in the grave, but he rises. It rises from the dead. The resurrection changes it. You go to Luke chapter 9 and verse 22. It's the same account. Same account. Peter's confession and almost the same words are written. It says, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. But I think one of the most important places is in John. All of the Gospels record that Jesus declared he would rise from the dead. But one of the most intriguing st- accounts of that is in John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, Jesus does something that kind of shocks everybody. In fact, at times when you read that and, and you think about Jesus, it shocks us. We, we talked about it last week a bit when he was declaring that he was a king, but a king like no other king and a king who comes offering amnesty. But one of the things he did is he came as a king offering amnesty. He went into the temple. And as all the hustle and bustle of the temple was going on in the outer courts of the temple, where they were sacrificing thousands of animals, and the money changers were selling those animals to people to buy, and all kinds of things were were happening. It was was, uh, much like the the floor of the World Trade Center and a stockyard at the same time put together, the commotion and the, 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 the kind of activity that was going on. And one of the things Jesus was troubled about is that that was the only court that the Gentiles could worship in and, and they weren't able to worship in the temple because of all of that stuff that was going on. And Jesus began to overturn tables and we talked about the fact that he didn't come just for the Jews but for the whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike. But... But right after that account, after he's turned over those tables, religious leaders are are not very happy at this point. And they come to him and they say to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? That is, what authority do you have to come into our temple and overturn these tables? What authority? And Jesus says something very interesting. He says, destroy this temple and in three days... I will raise it up. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. That's how Jesus responded to their question of, what authority do you have? Well, that, that particular statement had much misunderstanding among the people. They didn't understand what he was talking about. No one really understood what Jesus was talking about. Many of them took it actually literally that Jesus was inciting the fact that he was going to destroy the temple. It's one of the things that got him in all kinds of trouble. And it's interesting. This is the interesting part of this text. Is as you go then to his crucifixion later in the, in the Gospels, and you read the account of his crucifixion, remember that account where there were two men that were crucified on each side of him and all the things that took place on the day of his crucifixion? This is an interesting thing in, in the text. It says, and those who passed by derided him, and this is what they said, wagging their heads and saying, You, you, who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Isn't it interesting that the day of his crucifixion, he's on the cross? And and just passerbys, just just passerbys, just people who happen to be there that day are are saying that to Jesus. Are, shouting it to Jesus on the cross. The only reason they would do that is because it was a story that had been much circulated, much circulated among the people, among the common people. They knew it. Religious leaders knew it, but others knew it. Enough that that's what happened. There's an incredible irony in that, I think. An irony. An irony. The Jews demand a sign to prove his right. Right to act in a kingly manner in the temple. And Jesus says, it's my resurrection. My resurrection will be the authority, will be the final answer to why. The resurrection, he points to the resurrection. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it. Jesus affirmed the fact that he would rise. Now, think about that a minute. If that's not true, if that's not true, your faith is in vain because if you can't trust him that he's right in that point, you can't trust anything else. I don't care what it is. Wrong in one area, wrong in all areas. That's what C.S. Lewis was trying to reiterate to people who would come along and say, Jesus was this great teacher. He says, how foolish. How foolish that Jesus was merely just a great teacher. There's no way he could say the things that he said and affirm the things that he said if he were just a good teacher. He had to be one of three things. He either had to be a liar. In other words, he said things that he knew were wrong that he knew were not truths he was a impostor or worse he lied or secondly another option is that he was a lunatic that he we've 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 seen people who are lunatic they they really believe what they say even though what they say isn't true they're just deranged they're they're delusional so he was either a liar Blatant liar, a lunatic, just out of his mind, convinced of things that weren't true. Or thirdly, the only other option is is not great teacher. If you're a liar or a lunatic, you cannot be a great teacher. The only other option is that he is Lord. That he's Lord. And that he did have the authority to say the things that he did. Because, as we already said, he's the king. He's the king. So, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain if Christ didn't rise. And thirdly, it gets worse. You're still in your sins. That's what the scripture says. It says uh, in verse, as you walk down there, we are are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised, and if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. He wasn't a sin bearer. But again, we go to scripture. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Listen to what he said. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise, partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might be become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Jesus became fully man some 2,000 years ago along with continuing to be fully God, which is an incredible mystery. And he did it for one reason alone, because he was going to die as a propitiation for the sins of his people. He was going to take the penalty, bear the wrath of God's anger and judgment for sin and do it for all who would believe. Now, again, again, that doesn't matter. I can say that and it doesn't matter if he's not raised from the dead. But that's what the scripture says, that he did that and he was raised. But look at what it says a little earlier in in that same chapter. Listen to it. It says, But we see him who for a little while, for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. But for how long? For a little while. And the inference of the writer of Hebrews is the resurrection. For a little while, but then the resurrection. The writer Isaiah, some 900 years ago, or excuse me, 900 years before the coming of Christ, penned these words predicted the resurrection, predicted that this Jesus would come, and he would, in fact, be a propitiation. Take the wrath, bear the penalty, and be raised after that. Listen to what it says in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 6 of that says, The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's in, that's a, Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant chapter of Isaiah, talking about the Messiah. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It says in verse 6. Then it says, He was cut off from the land of the living. He died. Then in verse 10, it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief, to grief, which again is all about the death, all about the penalty that was paid. But again, where's the resurrection? Now, listen. It says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, again, then it says this, he shall see his offspring He shall see his offspring. Who's that? That's those for whom he bore the wrath. But it says he shall see them. If if he shall see them, it means that he has been raised to see them. If he's still in the grave, there's no seeing them. There's no seeing those whom he died for. But again, he was raised, so he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Again, speaking of the Messiah, he shall prolong his days because death has been conquered, He's been raised from the dead. His, his days will be prolonged. In fact, they will be an eternity of days, future. And then thirdly, it says, "The Lord, the will of the Lord, shall prosper in His hand. The purpose of the Lord shall prosper. What's the purpose of the Father? In sending the Son? To save a people, so the the uh, the will of the Lord, the will of the Father, shall prosper. Because what He did will save a people, and He is raised because it was of sufficient sacrifice it it goes on to say out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities and he shall be raised to confirm that he's done so so preachings in vain faith is in vain you're still in your sins and it gets even worse. There's no reason for this sheet in your bulletin this morning. Because it goes on to say those who have fallen asleep have what? They've perished. No need. No need for this. If Christ isn't raised, we're wasting our time. That's what Paul's saying. If there's no resurrection, Easter inserts are a sham. And then finally, this. Finally, this. Doesn't say it quite as, as uh, directly as he does in, in uh, the f- verses that we read, but a little later, a little later in 1 Corinthians 15, a portion that we didn't read this morning, we see it. And that is this. That if you are a Christian and Christ is not raised... You are to be pitied among all others, above all others. He, he says that, but he says and gives us the reason why. Why? Why would we be pitied? I remember when I was first became a believer in Christ, my life took a, a different turn. I remember going off to college. I remember being surrounded by people who, who genuinely cared about me and, and, uh, and found a a social group there that I hadn't had before, and I remember—I distinctly remember being in in a van going to a service at a at a jail, and I remember saying, "I, I don't think I just thought it because I'm vivid. I think I said it. I said Christianity would be worth it, even if this is all there is in life." That was a foolish statement. That that's not true. I mean, I wouldn't say that today. In fact, Paul wouldn't say that today. He would say, if there's no resurrection, you're a fool. To not just go out and eat, drink, and be merry. You're a fool if you don't just squeeze out all the pleasure you can get in this life right now if Christ isn't raised. Your life should be about getting as much pleasure as you can get. You need to be a pure rank hedonist if Christ hasn't been raised. And the idea of taking any risks, oh, don't do that. Because when it's over, it's over. And so don't don't deny any pleasure and don't take any risks. That's what Paul would say if Christ isn't raised. And and he says it, look at verse 32 of chapter 15. He says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? I mean, Paul had suffered some really difficult things. In fact, when he was converted on the Damascus Road, the the Lord said, I'm going to show him how much he will suffer and sacrifice. And he did. And he says, if Christ isn't raised, what do I gain from that? I'm foolish, I'm crazy. In fact, he goes on to say, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Except Christ is raised, that ought to be your philosophy in life. But, but if Christ is raised, it makes all the difference in the world. And that's what he says in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are in subjection, it is plain that he accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. How can he do any of that? Only if he be raised, and he has been. He's been raised from the dead, and it makes all the difference in the world. It changes everything that Christ has been raised. It, it changed the disciples. It changed Peter. And I pray that it changes us. That we come this morning and because we believe that, we are people who, in fact, are willing, are willing to give our lives to him. May God help us. May God help us to not live in a way that would deny the resurrection of our Lord. Let's stand and sing together as we close.
2: are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, church, come stand in the you sing Oh, death where is your victory Oh, church come stand in the light Our God is not dead, he's alive he's alive Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death Come away come away risen from the dead. We are one with him again. Come away, come awake, come and rise
1: up from the grave. Let me put a cap and a ribbon on this this morning and then we're going to one of the things that I think happens when we don't really just stop and think that we are talking about one who was raised in a specific place at a specific time is we get kind of a spiritual idea of Christianity that that distorts it. Jesus Christ was bodily raised from the dead. He was fully God from all eternity past and will be fully God and fully man for all eternity future. He was raised. Literally raised. It's not just some spiritual, mystical kind of thing. He was literally raised from the dead. And one of the things, sometimes we get this idea of heaven. We get this ethereal kind of idea of heaven that it's going to be clouds and harps and angels, which is, I think, detrimental because we think of this kind of, we put it in a spiritual reality and, and there certainly are spiritual dimensions of it, but it is a literal reality. The Bible says there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. They will come together. And I believe that what will be the result of that will be, will be, more, there'll be more continuity than discontinuity in that. When it says a new heavens and a new earth, we will live in resurrected bodies with our resurrected Lord as the first fruits of that resurrection. You won't be floating around in ethereal ways. It will be a new heavens and a new earth. There will be no sin, which is why we can't comprehend what it will be like. That's why we can't comprehend it. Because we can't comprehend not having an impulse to sin, not having sin be around us. It so taints everything. But but it will be much more like we have now than not like we have now. That's an incredible hope. And that's why the literal bodily resurrection of Christ is so important, because our own literal bodily resurrection hangs on it. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that we have that hope. And certainly there are mysteries Bigger and larger than we can fully comprehend. But you have given us some of it. And we are grateful for that. And I pray, Father, that, that you will help us to live lives that reflect the fact that we believe our Lord is risen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Happy Easter.